Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis, reporting to listeners each and every week from the fabulous Florida Keys. You can order my books at catchoutdoors.com or on Amazon Kindle. Books from my website are signed while they last. Let's see, this week, episode number 70. Wow. (laughs) The Blue Ridge. I'm going to seriously switch gears this week and take you to a place that's played a a pretty big part in my life from the early days until adulthood and the Blue Ridge Mountains. I, I just, you know, let's travel. <laughs> we're going to leave Florida and we're going to we're going to go up to the mountains of the Blue Ridge. But first, some recaps uh, of the previous week and local keys news and all that kind of fun stuff I usually throw at the beginning of these. So here we go. Last Saturday, the 14th, I was asked to sit in for Captain Debbie Hansen on my old radio show, Real Talk Radio. That's on Southwest Florida ESPN radio. It was fun. It was really fun. Special guest was Nick Davis. He's the owner of 239 Flies and now 828 Flies. Uh, 239 is the area code for Bonita Springs, Florida and 828 Well, that's part of my upcoming story uh, on this podcast, so we'll get to that in just a little bit. Anyhow, um, Nick owns one of the best fly fishing shops in all of Southwest Florida. If you're thinking about, you know, giving the fly thing a try, as I call it, go to see him and his crew. Uh, Shop's located on Bonita Beach Road in Bonita. It's just a little bit west of US 41 on the north side of the road, so and tell him I said hi. Uh, this past Saturday, I did my very first seminar in the Keys as a Keys resident. I, it kind of blew me away. I have not, in all the years that I fished and all the time I spent down here, I never did a seminar. I worked with the Mako tournament here, which was, you know, you still, you spoke to people in small lots and you did, you know, took people fishing and introducing the Mako boats. And But I've never done a seminar down, seminar down here. Kind of, kind of weird. I also haven't done one in <laughs> over a year, actually. But I found out it's like riding a bike or fishing. It's you don't you know you don't yeah it's just built in. <laughs> it just sticks with you. Uh, the event was at the Island Boat Show held in Isla Mirada. Really nice, much bigger layout than I pictured. Um, lots of very tempting boats of all sizes, along with shopping booths and exhibitors of marine gear, fishing, boating goodies, food trucks, all the stuff. It was it was really great. Um, I don't know in Alamrada, you know, you, you you think of limited space, but they had managed to really spread this thing out. So there was there was a lot of good shopping for boats and a lot of other stuff to do as well as the seminars. So that was fun. Mine was about kayak fishing. Um, I had a really good turnout and lots of good questions. So thanks for, to those folks that uh, made it to the show. I uh, also want to mention, I finally got to meet Clay and Stephanie, the stars of Life by the Bow. If you folks aren't watching YouTube, you should. I watch a lot of different channels on YouTube, especially if it has anything to do with the Florida Keys or outdoor fishing or fishing in the shallow water or, yeah, just about anything that has to do with water. And uh, Janelle and I turned them on... I don't know, probably not longer than right after we moved here. We moved here, I guess it was July. July, August was our move-in time, and we've watched YouTube channels quite often, and we flipped this one on, and man, it just struck me. These two characters are great, Clay and Stephanie, husband and wife. They do a great job. They've got, you know, a couple of, out, they do outdoor adventures of fishing, life around the Keys. Really, it's really, really good. They're very engaging, a lot of fun to watch. Um, if you haven't seen it, give it a try. Again, it's called Life by the Bow on YouTube. They also have their own line of outdoor wear called Avail, 
which is fishing gear. Really nice fishing attire. Um, so, yes, I picked one up. Speaking of fishing, a fishing report from Southwest Florida. <laughs> it's good here in the Keys, too, but I thought I'd throw this in. Um, we, let's see, it's uh, everything I've heard and read has been extremely positive. Let's put it that way. Um, here's just one example. I got this, uh, let's see. Yes, this I believe this was a text. Yeah, it was text. Hi, Rob. Fabulous day yesterday. Kayak fishing in Marco Goodland area between Dave, Ken, and myself. This is an old friend of mine named Mike. Uh, caught 11 reds, over 60 snook, and probably 40-plus trout, all on jigs, paddle tails. It was 42 degrees when they launched. Oh, geez. But it warmed up nicely. He passed along a really nice photo of Dave holding up a great big overslot red. Water tip was 59 at 7 a.m., and by 3 p.m., it was thir- it was 66. Uh, back in the shallow bays, they were surprised at how well they did. I- I'll bet you were, especially with the snook and the cold temps. Heavy cover and slow presentation was the key. Thanks for the text, Mike. This is going on everywhere. I mean, really and truly, all the people that I've talked to, Estero Bay, Pine Island Sound, and all are having really, really good fishing, especially in the Gulf. Uh, there have been some solid permit fishing in the Gulf. I've seen triple tail, um, snapper. I mean, it's it's great. My thoughts on this and on the other reports that I've heard are just this. Nobody is fishing much. Um, the area is still in need of repair. They're rebuilding. There aren't a lot of folks on the water. Uh, the waters have cleared a lot, I think, mostly because of the lack of boat traffic. There's just nobody cruising around on the thing. So things have really, really settled. And uh, pictures I've seen from some of my friends, with, I mean, crystal clear, the water is beautiful in the backcountry. Kind of reminds me of the Keys in a way. Um, also a lack of rain. You know, we're going into the dry season now, so there's no no running. But I think it might be more of just the sheer traffic is gone. So it gives us the system a chance to recover. So if you're a fisher person and you're not, strap down and you can get out there if you didn't lose your boat and i'm sorry if you did i know that sucks um get out there and give it a try hook up with a friend go fishing might take your mind off the nonsense that's going on over there right now with all the all the repairs and stuff so this is about episode 70 uh this came about during my guest hosting on the radio as i said with nick it you know he recently opened his second fly shop a28 yeah the area code up in north carolina near banner elk we've been friends for quite a while and to say the least i was somewhat stunned <laughs> he was opening a shop there after the huge success of his place in Bedita Spring. Now remember, this is Florida to North Carolina. This is not like this is not like Florida to South Georgia or something, or Florida over toward um, Louisiana. This is Florida going co- completely, completely out of the box. <laughs> but he but he did it. Um, he's opened the shop. It's it's been very successful. Um, it's something you must see if you head up to the North Carolina mountains, which I'm going to talk about quite a bit. But um, it seems strange to me, but to him, I guess it was pretty obvious. Uh, Nick started his career in fly fishing online, selling online fly fishing gear and flies. Lots of beautiful flies, really nice hand-tied flies. Eventually wound up with a storefront and then graduated. Well, no, just, yeah. Upped his game. That's better. Upped his game to 828. So, Nick, I'm proud of you. It's really awesome. I can't wait to get up to North Carolina and check out the shop. 
Early on, I said I have a very long history of a Florida-North Carolina connection, and that's kind of what brought this. Again, the, the memories that were generated from the radio show with Rick mentioning it, I thought, gosh, I, I want to talk about that because it's a beautiful place. And for, man, for Floridians, that's hard to say, for Floridians, it's a getaway in the hot, hot summer months. Um, I got a long history. Way back in the 60s, when I was growing up in Clearwater, Florida, I was gifted a practice channer. I know you're going to ask what, don't know. It's not for serpents or, you know, <laughs> snake stuff. <laughs> it was from my maternal grandfather, Bob Duncan. He'd returned with it from Scotland, our ancestral home, to give it to me to learn how to play the bagpipes. And long story short, I'm the kid with the musical abilities in the family. I'm not saying other kids in the family didn't plunk around on pianos and guitars. They did. But I really played everything. And it was just one of those weird, if I picked it up and played it, you know, it was easy. That's all. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Um, but this was different. The, the practice chanter, which is what you learn on to learn to play the bagpipes, has nine notes on it. It looks like a recorder. You blow in it, and you play. I mean, it's it's a double reed. It's like an oboe reed. Those of you that know about oboes, it's a double reed instrument, or it has a you know two-sided reed. Um, and it made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever how you could play what I was hearing on bagpipes on this thing. And so um, I was very lucky at the time. Uh, Growing up in Clearwater, I was right next to a little town named Dunedin, and Dunedin is a is considered a a, a Scottish hangout <laughs> for people that come to Florida. And as luck would have it, my mother was looking in the paper way back in the '60s. I think I think I started in '64 is when I started actually playing, um, and she saw a summer camp over at the Dunedin School. Uh, they had their junior high and their high school and their elementary school. All these kids learned to play the bagpipes in Dunedin. There were already pipe bands there, and so she said, "Oh, summer school bagpipes! You got a chanter? Let's go!" And so she signed me up. And as they say, the rest is history. Um, my pipe instructor Matt Forsyth was from Scotland. He was a pipe major from Scotland and basically taught me to master the pipes. That's pretty much how it works. And eventually I wound up in a place called Grandfather Mountain. And Grandfather Mountain is near Nick's store up in the Blue Ridge. Um, I attended the Grandfather Mountain Highland Games up there as a youth. I was I think the first one I did performing wise was 14 and the next one was 15, I think. And I won two medals. I won first place um, when I was 14 and second place when I was 15 at the games, um, which is pretty heady stuff because the grandfather mountain games are considered the largest and biggest Scottish games in the entire United States and have been for years. It's in a beautiful place, the blue Ridge mountains. It looks like Scotland. Well, imagine that. Uh, the whole reason we were at the games is because my grandfather, Duncan, the grandfather that gave me the chanter, um, he just loved the tradition of the Scots in Scotland for obvious reasons. And um, he started attending the Grandfather Mountain Highland Games even before I took up the pipes. Um, another connection, my mother and father ran the School of Scottish Arts eventually there every summer in Banner Elk at Lees McRae College. That's also near Nick's door. 
<laughs> which, by the way, sits near the Elk River, a favorite fly fishing spot of many, many sportsmen that travel up to the Blue Ridge Mountains. So you kind of see where I'm going with this. It was just this really strange thing that started by going to the games, hanging out. If you Listen, if you've never been to a Highland Games of any type, go. It's They're all over Florida. I mean, all over Florida. Fort Lauderdale's got a really big one. The Florida Keys just had one down in Marathon. Um, you know, you can you can basically just go to Scottish Games or Scottish Highland Games on the web. And I would advise because family, it's fun, lots of music, singing, dancing, carrying on, and uh, certainly worth giving it a try, especially if there's one near you. But Dunedin is, I'd say Dunedin is the biggest in Florida. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's the biggest in Florida. It's modeled after the Highland Games in uh, North Carolina, the Grandfather Mountain Highland Games. So it's very, very simple. Plus, Dunedin has the finest pipe bands in all of the United States. The pipe bands, they're excellent. They've won all kinds. Of, they won worldwide awards. Won awards by going over to Scotland and winning. So pretty cool. I spent my summer in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And whether for the Scottish Games or just escaping the heat of Florida, too, in the, in the late summer. Um... I'm thinking we were kind of reverse snowbirds, if that makes sense. It's it's funny. Being in Florida, you you know about snowbirds. And especially now, this is in south southwest Florida, east Florida over here in, in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and of course, certainly down here in the Florida Keys. We have an entire population that shows up down here in January. And February, it's big. And March, it's big. And then they all go home because it gets warm enough to go home. And so they're escaping the cold. Uh, we had kind of the... We had kind of the same thing down here as residents, as residents. We, you know, for those of you who are in and around Florida, you know that once you get to uh, September, I guess. Yeah, August is bad, but September is like, you just want it to end. And by now, your friends up north are showing you the beginning of color changes, you know, way up in the northern reaches of the leaves and fall is moving in. And they're starting to talk about evenings in the 60s. And you're like... My evenings are still 81 to 82 and a high of 92. Like the temperature hardly moves. It just stays hot. And all you want to do is just get the heck out of here. So it's this, this reverse thing. This should, somebody, somebody's got to come up with a name if you do send it to me. I, you know, it's like, what's a reverse snowbird? What do you call somebody from Florida that goes north? I, I don't know. A fish? <laughs> I'm not really sure. But it, maybe we need a name, so... Yeah, but we travel to cool weather. That's pretty much what happens. So people in Florida, a lot of my friends, a lot of my guide friends when we we're guiding, September is notoriously slow in Florida for for fishing guides. And that's because um, it's just the dead of summer and you cannot talk. Most people don't even bother to go out in a boat in September. It's just hot. It doesn't affect us. It just affects anybody else that wants to go out. And so in September, when it calmed down, I had a lot of folks, including me, it would disappear. You know, you go to you go up north go to Georgia mountains up near Blue Ridge, you go all the way up into the Blue Ridge mountains themselves up around North Carolina. All you want to do is escape the heat and you stay up there through the month of September. So you do about four weeks up there and then you come back um, in October. And by the way, you come back, it's still hot, but that's beside the point because mother nature has a way of going, oh no, not yet. Not yet. You're going to have to wait till you know Halloween before I really deliver any kind of front to you. And now that I've moved to the Florida Keys, you might as well add another couple of weeks to that because the cold fronts that I watched everybody else get in Florida across like, you know, Fort Myers and, and over easterly over toward Palm Beach County and Fort Lauderdale. They didn't make it down here. They did, they just stopped, stalled, turned around and went the other way. And all we got was more, more warm, warm weather. And that's how it is. So anyhow, 
let's talk about let's talk about the area up there and the outdoor things to do there. I'm going to specifically cover the summer months, but we'll also hit just a bit of winter for the hardy souls that like to play in the snow. So I'm going to cover what we did going up there in September, which to us is summer. To them, it's it's the beginning of fall, really. Uh, but there's lots and lots of things to do in the summer. So you can go up there June, July, August when it's hot everywhere else, and it's it's gorgeous up in the mountains. Uh, you'll hit some nights that are in the 40s if you're up high enough, if your altitude's high enough where you're staying. Um, so we're going to back it up a few months is what I'm saying. Instead of just sticking to September, the escape that us Floridians did, um, a lot of people went up there in June, July, and August too, just to get out for for a few weeks each month or you know whatever to stay in and cool off. Um, and also, like I said, if you are a winter person, that's okay. There's stuff to do up there too. We're going to start with Boone, North Carolina. Daniel Boone, spelled the same way. Uh, it's more or less the big city of the area. Now, I say that very tongue-in-cheek because it's not a big city, but it is. You know what I mean? It's it's mountain. It's in a valley. Um, it's, it's a large area. Um, it's got grocery stores. It's a hub. Yeah, it's a hub. It's got grocery stores, um, places to stay. You know, like the Country Inn and Suites, Marriott, the Courtyards, the uh, Hampton Inn, Holiday Inns, all that kind of stuff. Your, your basic hotelleries. Um you also have a Walmart Supercenter. You got a Publix. Yes, there's a Publix in North Carolina. I don't know how that... Publix actually started in South Georgia, and it's all of Florida, but apparently Publix is creeping north. Uh, my friends from Kentucky said they're about to get one in Kentucky, so there you go. Um, and it also has one of my favorite places to go to outside of all other grocery stores, and that's Harris Teeter. That's H-A-R-R-I-S-T-E-E. E-T-E-R, Harris Teeter. If you haven't been, go. It's a fabulous grocery store. Um, I always say this, if you know, you know. That's, and if not, then you definitely go. So that's what you need to do. Um, most of its growth, though, the, the reason that Boone is so large, mainly, I believe, is because of Appalachian State University. It is the home of Appalachian State University. It's located, it's a huge portion, portion of the valley. The university is, you know, stadiums, all that kind of stuff. Um so it's a college town, and it's obviously full of young people. So thus, the great, mostly inexpensive places to eat and reasonably prices to stay in and around Boone. They cater to that crowd. They cater to mom and dad coming to visit the kids. They cater to the kids, you know, needing an affordable place to eat and hang out. So it is not, you know, while you can run into expense there, it's not heavy-duty resort price like you find when you run out into the mountains to the other towns out there in the mountains that have like uh, the big ski resorts and things like that. So Boone is a really good place to cruise. Boone's a good place to stay if you want to cruise out into the mountains and see things like the Blue Ridge Parkway and stuff like that. But uh, you'll save a little bit of money. So I prefer to shop there and stay in the outlying mountain towns or homes for rent. Um, there's everything from small mountain chalets. And I mean, these things are at the end of the end of a road, at the end of a driveway, tucked into the mountain side, if you will, with a bubbling spring going down next to you. It, you know, it's just, you can't imagine how pretty some of these places are. A lot of them are one bedroom with a kitchen and a living room. Some of them have two bedrooms, so you can bring a guest with you to stay. They're very, very small, but... That's one of my favorite things, and there are lots of those to pick from up there, all the way up to gigantic houses built on the side of the mountain 
with multiple uh, decks, and you'd have to see it to believe it. But again, spacing is really good because they just they don't jam things on top of each other. You can't. You can't do it on a mountain. You just, you just can't. There's only so much space to build stuff. I love the roads. I love the access roads in the neighborhoods. That's really entertaining. Some have switchbacks. If you don't know what that is, that means you pull forward, back up, pull forward, back up until you get yourself around a turn, and then you can continue on. A little scary for us uh, very, very lowlanders like Floridians. Everything here is flat and squared, you know, either north, south, east, west. You don't have to worry about curves and things in most places. In the Carolinas, you do. Every, every trip you take in the Blue Ridge area or the North Carolina area up in the mountains of the Blue Ridge is, as a bird flies, goes, oh, that, that's about six miles. That's eh, about seven miles. Reality is it's 14 by the time you go around all the mountain peaks and stuff to get to it. So as the bird flies, be careful. When they when they give you directions for some, oh, it's, it's only about five miles from here. Get a map and look because it's probably 10 just on, on the road. The big places, they can accommodate two to three families. They're multi-level. They'll have like a first, second, and third level. Each level will have a kitchen. I'm serious. Enough room to probably sleep four or five on each level. Some of the places I saw would sleep sleep a total of 15 people. So, you know, you if you're splitting costs, that's really the best way to go. And it puts you right smack in the middle of the most beautiful area of the Blue Ridge Mountains. You, you, you get up in the morning, you go out on your deck, and you look out, and you will just, you will not believe how pretty it is out there and how, how it's just beautiful scenery. It's the opposite of Florida. It's massive mountains instead of looking out flat over the Everglades. But it's it's got its own beauty. Both do. Both do. And speaking of scenery, the Blue Ridge Mountains are just, well, they're incredible. I, why are they called that? Ah, I think I missed that earlier on. They have a bluish hue to them most of the time of the year. I, I think it occurs more with a little bit of a rise in humidity. So in the you know late winter, as you roll into summertime, um, it, it does get humid up there, but nothing like Florida does. But you get, I guess you, I want to call it a mist. It's like a mist in the air. And that mist causes, uh, when the sunlight breaks through, to give it a bluish hue over all those trees. I, you know, it's just, it's thick, thick forest up there. Um, and that's the name Blue Ridge Mountain. Because there are times when you'll stand up there and you'll look out and you'll, you'll, you're like, wow, now I know why. So that's where the name is. Highest point in the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, in the Blue Ridge chain, I should say, is Mount Mitchell, located in Yancey County. It's about 30 miles northeast of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I've been up there. It's it's gorgeous. <laughs> Mount Mitchell stands 6,684 feet above sea level, which also makes it the highest mountain east of the Mississippi River, just, just for note. Um, the view from there is spectacular especially from their observation deck at the state park. It's it's worth the trip up. Um, some cars will struggle. <laughs> it's a hell of a road, but it's worth the view. Second in line, my favorite, Grandfather Mountain. Yes, there really is a grand. We've talked about the Grandfather Mountain Howling Games. Yes, there really is a Grandfather Mountain. Elevation's 5,946 feet. Uh, Grandfather is best known for its, its beautiful trails and serious drops that'll take your breath away. Cliffs. Yeah, you know, uh, watch your step. <laughs> There's Visitor Center on top of the mountain where you'll find a swinging bridge that passes over a gorge. They call people, the locals call it the mile, I think it is nicknamed the Mile High Bridge because that's how high up it is. 
the look down into the gorge will take your breath away too. And the swinging bridge swings. Um, it even bounces. It swings in the wind. It's um, If you've got a problem with heights, you might want to consider not going out on it. Um, I've actually seen I've actually seen folks drop to their knees and crawl across or back where they where they started if needed. Like you know, like they can't just turn around and walk off. They they crawl. However, what's on the other side is totally worth it. Um, you stand on top of huge boulders with a view that's been seen. It has to be seen to believe. I mean, you got to see it to believe it. You really do. Um, don't miss it if you're in the area. From the vantage point up there, you can also see Lee's McRae Meadow down below. And that's where the Highland Games are held that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the meadow is also a favorite landing spot for hang glider pilots uh, that launch from the top of the mountain. And they glide down to the meadow. Uh, that would be, let's see, I think it's 4,300 feet from up around the launch site that the gliders use. To Yeah, it's about 4,300 feet above sea level where they land in the valley. But it's really fun to watch. I don't know if you're not into that, you're, you get the sweaty palms. But it's it's that's a fifteen hundred foot drop, and these guys basically run off the side of the mountain and glide all the way down into the valley. It's really really cool to watch. I mentioned the trails. Grandfather Mountain has trails around now. Seriously, um, there are some real basic ones, uh, but there are also some really really tough ones. So you know if you're up to it, great. And if you're not, don't do it. Um, there are. are They'll issue. They'll show you where you can and cannot go according to your your skill level. But uh, if you are a climber and if you enjoy doing trail climbing, I'm not talking about climbing up a sheer wall with you know with with lines and stakes and stuff. I'm talking about a pretty good climb up up uh, rocky areas. Uh, the view or, or the views, I should say, plural, are fantastic from those things. They eventually lead you to some sort of an outcropping or a cliff type area that you can view the mountains as far as you can see. And, and that's certainly worth it. So Grandfather Mountain is one of my favorites. I love going up there. I really do. Uh, next in line, Blowing Rock. This is a town. It's south of Boone. Um, it's the oldest travel attraction in North Carolina. Um, and of course, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Why the name? I'm going to read this for you. This is this is what I call, this is legend. Okay, this is legend. According to legend, a Chickasaw chieftain was doing his best to keep his beautiful daughter from the eyes of men. He hid her away in the cliffs. One day, the lovely maiden was daydreaming on the cliff and noticed a Cherokee brave wandering far below. She playfully shot an arrow in his direction. That sounds like an interesting way to flirt. Um, soon he appeared before her wigwam, quartered her with songs of his land, and they became lovers wandering the pathless woodlands and along the crystal streams of the mountains. One day, a strange reddening of the sky brought the brave and the maiden to the blowing rock. To him, it was a sign of trouble commanding his return to his tribe in the plains. The maiden was not willing to leave. So the brave, torn by a conflict of duty and heart, leaped from the rock into the wilderness far below. The grief-stricken maiden prayed daily to the great spirit until one evening, with a reddening sky, a gust of wind blew her lover back onto the rock and into her arms. From that day, a perpetual wind has blown up onto the rock, the rock is capitalized from the valley below for people of other days at least this was explanation enough for the name blowing rock and blowing rocks mysterious winds causing even the snow to fall upside down there they're not kidding <laughs> the, the wind comes screaming up this thing it's, it's a vortex it's basically you've got a valley 
below that's narrow and it catches the wind in some way and the wind comes blowing up on the blowing rock. I have seen people toss things like combs and magazines and I saw a guy throw a shoe off and his shoe came back. Lucky for him. <laughs> He'd have been going home with one shoe, but I thought that was pretty bright. Like, what are you doing? It blew right back up on the rock. A lot depends on the day. A lot depends on weather. It's almost always wind, always. And some days it's much stronger than others to where you, you have to kind of crawl out onto the rock and stick your head over and get your hair blown back. But it's pretty impressive. Um, even on a slightly breezy day, you'll see all kinds of things tossed off the cliff. You're not supposed to do that, by the way, but of course. Tell people not. They just have to see what it's going. They just have to see if it's going to blow backwards. So, um, yeah, the tennis shoe was probably the craziest thing, and the surprise on surprise on his uh, friends and his mom's face was was even better. Next on the list, Linville Caverns and Linville Falls. Now, Linville's a town. L i n v i l l e. You can look it up. Linville. Linville's little. It's neat. Really neat. All the all these towns I'm talking about have the classic little shops in the mountains where you can buy handmade stuff, handmade paintings, things like that. it's and you know lots of fun foods and candies and all the all the things you probably shouldn't do, but but you're on vacation, so you know. For obvious reasons, I'm going to cover both of these sites at the same time. Both are located just southwest of Boone in the heart of the mountains along the Blue Ridge Parkway. And by the way, the Blue Ridge Parkway is an amazing drive. The Blue Ridge Parkway sometimes is closed due to heavy, heavy-duty fog and to heavy-duty snow. I just looked when I was doing this podcast, looked up some stuff on the Blue Ridge. It's closed right now. The parkway is closed due to, due to ice, um, which hopefully will be gone soon. It's an amazing drive, but not when it's foggy. Um, my family did that once, and only once. It was terrifying. <laughs> we had a ton of snacks and cookies. <laughs> yeah, you know, that it was that nervous eating when you're in the car. You know, my dad did a great job. He's an excellent job at navigating. He was a good driver, you know, but he, he got us through the parkway, and, the, and it had to be the thickest fog I know as a youngster I've ever seen. But I just remember eating tons of cookies and snacks to get through it. And then, of course, on the flip side of that, there are icy days when they won't even open the road during the icy days. So, Trails near Linville Falls Visitor Center lead to breathtaking three-tiered Linville Falls over the Linville Gorge. So you stop at the Visitor Center, you get your maps, they show you all the available trails. There's easy to ridiculously hard. Um, and one of them, which is a hard uh, is a climb up this fairly long trail. It's kind of a wraparound trail because you're you're going around a great big cavern. They they refer to this, I think, as the um, uh, what are they? The Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon of the East, or something like that. It, it's got a little you know little tag, it, but you go around and eventually you get up to an overlook area where you can see the entire Limville Falls. You can see all three of the falls from one spot, which is absolutely. Beautiful. I think they're one of the largest. I got to look at my notes here. Um, I think it's the largest thing. Eh, let me go back and check. Yeah, Steepwall Gorge is known as the Grand Canyon of the Southern Appalachians. There you go. And Limville Falls is the most famous waterfall in the Blue Ridge. Uh, trails include four overlooks, uh, wildfires, wildflowers, foliage, all that kind of stuff. It's it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. And you can sit right down next to where the water, where the falls are crashing into the water, get you some spectacular photographs to take home to the folks and friends. Re really, really a beautiful place. Check it out. Part two of Linville, the Linville Caverns. Um, they're located deep inside Humpback Mountain. There are daily tours 
held every 10 minutes at the visitor center. They do not allow you to go into the caves all by your lonesome, okay? It has a strange fishing connection, though. That's why I want to make sure to mention this. In the early 1800s, a fishing expedition headed by a gentleman named Henry E. Colton of eastern North Carolina were amazed to see fish literally swimming in and out of what appeared to be solid rock. They found a small opening that allowed them to enter a subterranean recess and an underground stream that was full of trout. Over the years, it was only known uh, by locals, uh, but the word finally got out in 1937. The caverns were open for the public tours for the first time. Lights were added, better pathways. They opened things up just a little bit so you can get in there. It's now quite the experience. I would highly recommend it. And this kind of gets back to my earlier thing about me going up there in the summertime. This Obviously, that's what I'm talking about. When it's hot everywhere else, it is cool inside that cavern. It's really, really nice. However... I would highly recommend a light rain jacket. Doesn't have to be heavy, just a little jacket that you can throw a hood up or wear a wide-brimmed hat. The ceilings drip. You're in a cavern. Water seeps into the cavern from above, so there's always this kind of dampness to it. And also solid shoes, something on your feet that are, um, they don't have to be waterproof, but you know what I mean, something that, that you're not worried about getting wet. Let's put it that way. Uh, and yes, there are still fish there. Um, I saw it, and it's, it's, really, it's really great. Okay, changing gears. Hiking, snow skiing. <laughs> How's that? To me, these are somewhat similar. When, when you're visiting Beach Mountain or Sugar Mountain, that's what I'm going to talk about, these two areas, two of the most popular skiing resorts in the summer season, you are basically hiking and biking on what will be ski runs, which is very exciting. <laughs> you can ride a bike downhill. Just, yeah, carefully. <laughs> um and the area around them in the wintertime, all that area is actually great big, huge uh, ski resorts, ski runs. So it's like these massive open valleys, which are really fun just to hike through and walk through. They're, they're, it's beautiful. In the summer, you pretty much have the areas all to yourself as a getaway from the hustle bustle of all the uh, tourist areas that I've told you about, or even from the towns. You're kind of out there by yourself. Another good reason is to try to find a chalet or a home in Beach or Sugar Mountain on those mountains. Those to me are the best. Those are the ones that really have the great access to like nowhere. <laughs> I guess is the best way. They're the ones you have to drive up the mountain and back up to get to and they go down a tiny little lane to finally get to the driveway. Um, the unusual thing to me about the area, I, I should talk about this while I'm thinking about it, is that there are really two tourist seasons in the Carolina mountains and in the Blue Ridge mountains, um, which also runs up to Virginia, by the way. It's very strange. Um, Florida, we have a season. And everyone in Florida seems to have a season. Like if you go to Orlando, their season is when the kids are out of school because it's Disney, right? So it's kind of locked around summertime when the kids can be there and the kids can attend. Um, the same thing's true for a lot of places in, in Florida, and especially Southwest Florida, where I spend a lot of time fishing, and then down here in the Florida Keys. Our season is, is obviously wintertime. Um, the mountains of North Carolina have both. They have double seasons. So you, and the reason I'm telling you this, you have to watch closely for pricing, deals, and things like that. There are a lot of Southerners who are going to be up there in the summertime because they're escaping the hot. And then there are a lot of people from everywhere who like to snow ski. And the snow skiing there is excellent. Both Beach Mountain and Sugar Mountain make snow. So they have natural snowfall, of course. They're in high elevation with with you know, snowfall, but they, when they don't, they can make snow. And as a matter of fact, um, 
I believe it's Sugar Mountain that brags about the quality of their hand, of their man-made snow. They, it's supposed to be really good. So anyway, you've got these two things going on. So remember that when you're booking or you're looking for the best prices, because if you can get yourself squeezed in between those times, so it's not winter, not summer, so in other words, fall or spring, you may find a lot better um, uh, savings for you. Except, I might want to mention this, except you may wind up with um, fall colors mixed in with that. Now, honestly, I much prefer summer for obvious reasons. I'm a Floridian, so I'm going up there to the cool weather. But I also prefer if it's vacant of people. Um, summer, uh, the summer months are the people are in town. They're cruising the town, and they're doing all the things I just told you about. They're going and visiting different stuff. They're going to, you know, like so you have the mountain trails and stuff kind of to yourself and you definitely have fishing areas to yourself um it's a it's just a little quieter it's it's a funny crowd it's like the summer crowd is there again to escape cold uh, but they want to be outside uh, or say i'm sorry escape summer they want to be cool and they want to be outside so um heck you might find yourself needing a blanket on the bed at night um, to give you an idea how cool it gets up there. But I really, really, really like being up there when the mountain trails are a little bit more free of people, and especially when the streams are more open uh, for the fishing side of it. And just to give you an idea, the winter, or I'm sorry, summer weather there is very similar to Florida in the winter. Just so you know, temperatures can drop to as low as 49, 50 degrees at night, depending on fronts, winds, things like that. But generally, it'll warm up to the 70s or the 80s during the day, and it's quite dry in most cases. It's uh, You get humidity sometimes with fogs and things, but most of the time, it's pretty dry. Fishing. Spinnerfly, both are popular along the Blue Ridge Parkway. And nearby locations that I've already mentioned, it's possible to catch several types of game fish in the creeks. Of course, I've got to put fishing in here, right? It's what I do. I love fishing. Um, there are three species of trout. The Southern Appalachian Brook Trout, those are, those are native and highly sought after. Um, and then there's rainbow and brown trout that have been introduced, and they've grown pretty daggone big, to <laughs> tell you the truth. There's also smallmouth and largemouth bass, sunfish, bluegill, and crappie. Yeah, crappies are found in uh, some of the parkways, uh, man-made lakes and ponds. To fish the lands of the Blue Ridge Parkway, adults need a fishing license, okay, from either North Carolina or Virginia. I think it's pretty cool because of the stretch of the parkway. It's, it's dual through two states. No trout, sta- no, uh, no, no trout stamps are required. Kids under the age of 16 can fish without a license as long as a parent is present. That's a little different than Florida. So if you're, if you're 15 on down, you can fish, but you got to have an adult with you. Um, might be a good idea because of the stream's locations, fall in the stream and get swept away, and bears. <laughs> um, fishing is permitted 30 minutes before sunrise. This is kind of interesting. 30 minutes before sunrise and 30 minutes after sunset. Okay, so there is a no after dark fishing um, in the Blue Ridge Parkway area. Uh, you can't fish from footbridges, you cannot fish from dams, and you can't fish from like they call them sidewalls. They're the walls that are kind of holding the edge of a mountain up like along a stream. You can't get up on those and fish from those. The use of live bait is not permitted, nor is digging worms. Um, artificial all the way, folks. Um, so. Yeah, you know, you'll need to find out more of your plan to fish. And that leads me to, you know, spin is good, fly fishing is best, 
especially because the flies attract more fish in this particular sense than the artificials do. When you cast an artificial, it plops in the water and it typically scares the fish. Trout do not like to be scared. Trout are extremely aware of their surroundings. So dropping a lightweight fly in that almost makes no splash whatsoever will simply catch you more fish. So I feel you will get more if you fly fish. Now, if you don't know how to fly fishing, you can learn, you know, don't have to fly, do it. No matter where you stay, find an outfitter. Okay. Yep. I already mentioned one early in this podcast. A28 Flies located in Banner Elk is my buddy's shop. Blue, that's Nick's shop in the Blue Ridge area. Um, but there are many, many other fly fishing shops in the area with high reputation and really good guides. It's not, you know, it's not just Nick. There's a lot of other ones that I want to make sure you know that. They all have gear and supplies that you'll need. A lot of them will take the time to help you with your casting to figure out what kind of casting you're going to be doing. And um, they also have access. Remember, a lot of these places you can't get into as an individual, but the guides have a special access permit to take you to certain areas of the streams where you're more likely to catch a lot more fish than you would on your own. So I would highly recommend it. And if you're new to the area, by all means, now if you've gone to the Blue Ridge several times and you get used to it, you've done a guide a couple times and you're starting to get some a little bit of, of knowledge, then obviously you can go do it yourself. But I would highly recommend I think you'd have more fun. You really would. The guides are the guides are a blast up there. You'll have a lot more fun if you just pick a guide. So all right, it's time to wrap this up. Uh, let's see. By request in a future podcast, I'll cover all things fly fishing coming soon. Might be next week. I haven't decided yet. There's a couple other things going on I might want to talk about first. And then also on the list is part two of my tackle shop search. Uh, this one will be from the Middle Keys down to Key West. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. My podcast is scheduled for each and every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, please tell a friend, leave a review, please subscribe to the channel. Catch you Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network and is available on Waypoint and many of your favorite podcast providers. The Facebook page is Catch Outdoors, the website, waypointtv.com, and catchyoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy.